I'm excited to get to study God's Word with my church family today. So if you have your copy of God's Word, please open it up and turn to the book of Matthew. Matthew, first book in the New Testament. First book in the New Testament, the book of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. That's the very end of the last chapter of the book of Matthew. And if you don't mind, as you turn there, I would like for you to stand as we read from God's Word. Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Church, this is the Word of God. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Church, this is the Word of the Lord. You may be seated. Today I want you to picture for a moment, as we think about staying on mission as a church, I want you to picture the church as a ship, or better yet, the the crew of a ship. As a church, we are sailing, or at least we should be sailing. We have been given orders. We have a mission. There is a task to be accomplished. But like with any crew, hear this, like with any crew, like with any ship, it is very easy to veer off course. It is very easy to lose sight of the mission we are on as we are sailing on this gospel ship. The ending of one year, I think, and the start of a new year is a great opportunity to stop, to reflect, to evaluate, and make the necessary adjustments in order to ensure that we as individual Christians and then we as the church are on course, heading in the right direction, accomplishing the correct mission. Of course, our ultimate aim in life, I think you would agree with me, is to glorify God. Our aim in life is to glorify God. As the Apostle Paul said, so I make it my aim to please Him. As one catechism of Christian doctrine says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That's essentially a definition of worship. That's what it means to worship. To worship God means to, to, to glorify Him to enjoy Him, to find our our hope and our satisfaction and our joy in the Lord. Now, it doesn't take rocket science to then understand that the way we glorify God, the way we worship Him, is by living in obedience to His commands. It just makes sense. To not live in obedience to Him would be to not worship Him. To live in obedience to Him would be to worship Him. Certainly, God has given us many commands which should govern our life, but there is one command which God has made very clear in His Word, which is to serve as the primary mission of the church. If our aim is to worship God, then we must be surrendered to this mission. And that command, that mission was given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ. That one who came as a baby in a manger, but who grew up, who died on the cross, who rose up from the dead, and before 
He ascended back to the Father. He gave this commission to His followers. The church surrendered to Jesus will be surrendered to the mission of Jesus. It's the main thought I want you to walk away with today. The church surrendered to Jesus. What I mean by surrendered is is to be submitting our lives to whatever it is that we're surrendered to. Whatever cause we're surrendered to. We have submitted our lives. We make decisions based on how, how well that will accomplish that mission. And if we're going to be surrendered to Jesus, then we will be surrendered to the mission. We can't divorce those two. We can't say, I'll be surrendered to Jesus, but not to His mission. That's an impossibility. As Christians, our lives are surrendered to Jesus, and thus we will be surrendered to His mission. That mission becomes the driving force in our lives. Now, over the past couple of months, we've been growing in our understanding. I pray that we have. I know I have. Uh, we've been growing in our understanding of great doctrines of the Christian faith. I have thoroughly enjoyed walking through uh, these different psalms over the past couple of months and, uh, and just learning. I, 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 can, I can speak for myself. God has been teaching me a lot. And, and I'm so thankful for that. We... we, we, we thought about doctrines like the doctrine of God, the doctrine of revelation, the doctrine of Christ, the doctrine of sin and humanity and the church and last things and the Holy Spirit and all of these things. But I want to remind you this morning that our mission as Christians sailing toward our heavenly home is not simply to gain as much knowledge as we can before we get there, but to take as many people with us on our way to that heavenly destination. Like true sailors, we grow in our knowledge of sailing so that we can actually sail, not just so that we can win a trivia contest about sailing. The knowledge that we grow in as we study doctrines of the Christian faith are meant to help us worship God by accomplishing the mission of God. We don't want to be puffed up with all of this knowledge and yet sitting on our backsides not doing anything to accomplish God's mission. Every church must constantly keep a check on itself to ensure that it is accomplishing that mission. Because, like I said earlier, it's so easy to veer off course. This morning I want to remind us of this mission which we find in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. And I want to challenge us to evaluate how we're doing as sailors on this gospel ship. Let me share with you four truths about this gospel ship called the church this morning from what we know as the Great Commission passage of our Lord Jesus Christ. First thing I want you to notice in this passage is this. This is the, this is the most important. We get this right, everything else falls into place. Church, Jesus captains the ship. Jesus captains the ship. While we might be tempted to think that the most important part of a sailing vessel is the hull or the rudder or the mast, I would argue that the most important piece or the most important part of a sailing vessel isn't actually a piece of the ship, but it is the one who is commanding that ship. That ship will sink or float based on the one who is commanding and the willingness of the crew to submit to the captain's leadership and authority. Now I want to read this passage again. And as I read, I want you to ask yourself, who does the mission involve? In other words, who all do we see having, having a part in this? If you want to think about it this way, who are the characters in the story? Not my favorite way to think about it, but that helps us think. Who do we see? 
Who do we see? And then second question, around which one or which group of these people does the mission revolve? Who all do we see, but who is at the center of it all? All right, let's, let's read again. I want you to think about that. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they came, they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now who all is there? Who all does this mission involve? We see Jesus. We see the disciples on the ship, if we'll run with that analogy. And then we see the nations surrounding them who need to get on that ship. We see Jesus, we see His followers, and we see those who are not His followers, all the nations who need to become followers of Jesus. Now, second question. Who is in charge? Who is the captain? Who does this mission center around? Hopefully that's a pretty easy question for us. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Without a doubt. Notice here, just just big picture, notice what's happening. Jesus does the directing in verse 16. Jesus is the one being worshipped in verse 17. Jesus is the one with all the authority in verse 18. Jesus does the commanding in verse 19. And Jesus does the promising in verse 20. It all centers around Christ. Without a doubt, He is commanding the helm of this ship. Church, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the resurrected Lord. Jesus is the King of heaven and earth. He has been given all authority by God Most High. He is the Master and He is the Commander. He is the Captain of this Gospel ship upon which we sail. He is the One and the only One to whom we must answer. You are not the Captain. I am not the Captain. No pastor or church committee or group of deacons is the captain. No local church is the captain. No denomination of churches is the captain. The nations around us are not the captain. Jesus is the captain. So we take our orders from Him. For the rest of the sermon, we're going to look at what Jesus has commanded as the mission of the church. But let me just say that if we expect to accomplish the true mission given to the church, then we must constantly be submitting to the true captain of the church. The moment we start submitting to some other captain, we will, without a doubt, veer off course. The reason it's so important to remember is that one of the temptations of any crew is to stop listening to the captain or even to replace the captain with someone else. And often that someone else is me or you, me, myself, and I. That's who we replace the captain with. We think we could do a better job. I think I could do a better job. You think you could do a better job. Our old sinful nature exposes itself when we think we are the ones who should be giving the orders and we begin to surrender to our own thoughts and opinions. And whether we realize it or not, we are trying to take Jesus' place as the captain of the ship. We have to constantly check ourselves. The power of the Holy Spirit working in us, molding us into the image of Christ. Church, we must constantly submit ourselves to the authority of Jesus. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Let me ask you a question. This is a question that sets this in the context of the passage. Have you paid the price for sin with your death and then conquered death by rising from the grave? No. 
Have I done that? Have I paid the price for my sin and conquered death by rising from the grave all on my own? No. You haven't done that. I haven't done that. The disciples hadn't done that. The only person in this passage who had done that is the Lord Jesus Christ. About 40 days earlier, He stepped out of the tomb that He was laid in after He paid the price for sin. There's no one else, no one else that comes close to matching the authority of Jesus. So anytime we try to replace Him with ourselves or someone else, we are choosing a lesser authority. We are choosing someone who is not worthy of our ultimate allegiance. But Jesus has. Jesus, the Creator of heaven and earth, who left heaven and earth to accomplish God's mission of providing humanity with a way to be rescued from sin, has been given this authority. And so, we must give Him His rightful place. We must acknowledge Him as our Captain. What does Jesus do as our Captain? What does He do? The second truth is this. Jesus charts the course. Church, Jesus, as the Captain of this ship, charts the course. It's one of the jobs, one of the roles of the captain. I like movies about ships and I like to look at maps. And so one of my favorite parts in movies about ships is when they've got the map out on the table and, and they're charting the course. And sometimes different ones on that ship uh, will, will, will give their opinion. But at the, end of the, at the end of the day, it's the captain's word that goes. He charts the course. Now, in a big picture sense, the destination of the church is heaven. Right? That's where we're headed. That's where Jesus is taking His bride. He came to purchase us to live with Him for all of eternity. God has called us out of darkness into His marvelous light and has opened up a way for us through Jesus to dwell with Him for all of eternity. But I want you to notice where this path will lead us as we follow our captain to heaven. Where is this course being charted until we get to that final destination. Verse 19 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Of all nations. That means all the peoples of the world. Jesus has charted our course, and our course goes through all the nations on our way to heaven. God has always had a plan to draw the nations of the world to His throne to worship Him as the Maker of all the nations. We go back to the Old Testament. Let's just go back to Abraham for a moment. God promised Abraham that He would bless all the families of the earth through Abraham. Not just that He would make him into a great nation, but that He would bless all the families of the earth through Abraham. Solomon prayed that the temple would be a place for all the nations to come and worship God. Isaiah prophesied, one of my favorite passages in the Bible, Isaiah prophesied, it is too light or too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. John the Baptist cried out, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And then we go to that very last book of the Bible. John the Apostle recorded in his vision of heaven, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. 
We know that Lamb is the Lord Jesus Christ. Church, the mission of Jesus is not make a beeline for heaven with as little interaction with the world as possible. It's not the mission of Jesus. And it's not the course He has charted. No, the mission of Jesus is on your way to heaven intentionally. Intentionally sail through the nations of the world sharing the good news message of Jesus. That means sail through your neighbors. That means sail through your community. Sail through your state, your country, all through the, throughout the nations. Wherever God gives you opportunity, intentionally sail on that course as you make your way to that final destination of heaven. That's the way, that's, that, that's the course that Jesus has charted. And if we choose to choose another way, we're choosing a way that's not the way of Jesus. Now, who are the nations? Who are the nations? Well, it's just everybody. It's everyone. Don't complicate it. It means everyone. People who live next door to you and the people who live on the other side of the earth. The nations are those who have heard the Gospel but are numb to it and those who have never heard the name of Jesus at all. The nations are those who look like us and dress like us and talk like us. And the nations are those who look different than us and dress different than us and talk different than us. Until all the nations have heard the Gospel of Jesus, the mission of Jesus' church is not over. Because the captain has charted the course and the course goes to all the nations of the world. And so Jesus captains the ship. Jesus charts the course. Third, I want you to see this in this passage. Jesus controls the rudder. Jesus controls the rudder. You know what the rudder is? It's, it's, that, it's that very key part of the ship. The rudder of the ship determines the direction of the ship. And the captain of the ship, standing at the helm, controls the rudder. The ship simply follows the command of the captain. It is surrendered to the captain's will. As the captain turns the wheel, that rudder moves in the right direction and then that ship moves in the right direction. And the one who is the captain is in control of it all. The captain steers right, the rudder steers the ship right. If the captain steers left, the rudder steers the ship left. The rudder is surrendered completely to the control of the captain. There is one command given by Jesus in this passage. One command. The command of Jesus to His followers is to make disciples. That's the command. It's to make disciples. If we are a ship surrendered to the will of our captain, we will, like the rudder, do exactly what our divine captain has commanded. We will make disciples. Now what's a disciple? Well, a disciple of Jesus is someone who has been saved by Jesus and now lives to honor Jesus by living in obedience to Jesus. A disciple of Jesus is someone who's been saved by Jesus. That's the first part. That's the first step. And now, because God has changed his or her heart, now lives to honor Jesus by living in obedience to Jesus. To put it very simply, a disciple is a follower of Christ. Someone who Jesus has changed through their faith in Him, and now they follow Jesus with their lives. That's what it means to be a disciple. Now, Jesus gives some more details regarding this command to make disciples. If you look at this text, if you look at this passage in the original language, in the Greek, you'll see that, that there is just one command. There's different parts of speech that help us know what are commands and what are supporting words. There's just one command in this passage. It's a command to make disciples. That's the command. But then there's three participles. I'm not great with English language. I was talking with some folks about that yesterday. Uh, I'm not, I'm not real, real good at that. I probably even said that the wrong way. Uh, but uh, but I, I do know that participles support the command. 
Okay? The command is to make disciples. And there's three words in this passage which are, which are these supporting words. They're the words going, baptizing, and teaching. Going, baptizing, and teaching. Now, I know our translations make the word go look like a command. And it's okay that it's translated go instead of going, but really it's the same, same as baptizing and teaching. It's the word going. The command is make disciples. So let's look at these three. First, making disciples means, to be, means we are to be a going people. We are a going people. We must be going to those who are not disciples of Jesus. We don't sit around waiting for them to come to us. Instead, we seek them out. And we just saw in the previous point that we're to be going to all the nations. We are to be a going people. This isn't a, a come and see religion. Christianity is not a come and see religion. It's a go and tell religion. We go to those who need to hear. And then we get that second word. Baptizing. Making disciples means we are a going people. Making disciples also means we are a baptizing people. The text says we are to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Well, what in the world is baptism? According to Scripture, baptism is the immersion underwater of someone who has believed in Jesus Christ for salvation in order to symbolize both a cleansing and a new life. Just as water washes away dirt, so faith in Jesus cleanses us from sin. And just as being laid into water and then lifted out of the water pictures a burial and a resurrection, so faith in Jesus means the death of the old sinful self and new eternal life in Christ. Why do we baptize people? Why do we do that? We baptize one because Jesus commanded us to. And He's the captain of the ship. We baptize because Jesus was baptized and so we follow in His footsteps. We baptize because the early church, all throughout Scripture, we see baptized believers in Christ. And we baptize because it is a beautiful picture of the gospel work of salvation in somebody's life. Dying to your old self and rising to walk in newness of life. Now it is important to remember that the act of baptism does not save a person. This doesn't mean we just walk around, kidnap people, dunk them under some water, and let them go about their rest of their lives. Alright, we did the mission of Jesus. That's not what this means. The act of baptism is not what saves a person. Only the grace of God through faith in Jesus brings salvation into a person's life. Otherwise, we would be practicing a works-based salvation and Jesus uh, clearly says in His Word that that's not possible. We can't earn salvation. It's not by works. It's by God's grace through faith in Christ alone. But baptism is the way Jesus commanded His disciples to publicly identify as followers of Himself. Now, who do we baptize? Notice this passage says that we are to baptize disciples. Go and make disciples. Baptizing them. We don't baptize lost people. We baptize disciples. And we're to baptize them, the passage says, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Well, in order to baptize somebody in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, they've got to believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There has to be a belief which precedes baptism if baptism means anything at all. Which means... Part of making disciple is sharing the good news of Jesus with the lost around us. Making disciples means going to the lost and sharing with them the gospel message so that they can believe in Jesus and then identify with Him in baptism. 
third participle, the third supporting word for the command to make disciples is the word teaching. We are to be a going people. We are to be a baptizing people. And we are to be a teaching people. This is how we make disciples. What do we teach? We teach disciples, the passage says, to live in obedience to Jesus. Jesus said, teaching them, make disciples by going, by baptizing, which means sharing the gospel with them, and by teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. We teach them to follow Jesus with their lives. Once we share the gospel with people and they trust in Jesus, we don't say, all right, we're done. No, we say, all right, now let me help you learn to follow Jesus in every area of your life. Church, when Jesus is the captain of the ship, He will be steering the ship in the direction of making disciples. If the ship is not going in that direction, then Jesus is not the captain of that ship. Somebody else is at the helm. Somebody else has their hands on the wheel. Because if Jesus has His hands on the wheel, that ship will be steering in the direction of making disciples of the nations. There's no such thing as a non-disciple-making disciple. Disciples make disciples. Because disciples live in obedience to the commands of Christ. Right? That's what it says. And Christ has commanded us to make disciples. If we as a church are not pouring ourselves into making disciples of Jesus, which means reaching lost people with the Gospel and helping believers grow, then we are off course Someone else or something else is controlling the rudder. Church, I can't say this strongly enough. Everything we do as a church must be centered on making disciples of Jesus. Everything must be centered on that mission. There's one command here. One thing that Jesus is looking to see whether or not we are doing it. It is, are you making disciples? Jesus captains the ship, Jesus charts the course, and Jesus controls the rudder. rudder. Fourth, Jesus cares for the crew. Jesus cares for the crew. Notice Jesus ends this commission with a promise. He says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age of the age. To the end of the age means until the mission is accomplished. Until it's completed. Until then, Jesus says, I am with you always. Jesus is not a captain who gives His crew some commands and then disappears below deck or stays back on the dock. No, He is with His crew always. Listen, church, we will face storms as we live on mission for Christ, but the Lord of creation who can calm the sea with a word... From His mouth is the captain of our ship. We will face enemies as we live on mission, but the captain at the helm has conquered the grave. He has defeated the enemy. He is Lord of heaven and earth. And then I want you to notice this promise is for disciples who are making disciples. You see, this promise is for His crew who are sailing on His mission. We like to quote this verse a lot, but I wonder how often we quote it in relation to the mission of Jesus. This is a promise that is meant to motivate us to obey the mission and to encourage us to keep living on mission when things get tough. Unfortunately, we often say, whether verbally or by the way we live, Jesus, we want Your care, but we don't want Your commands. We say, Jesus, we want Your concern for us, 
but we don't want your control. We say, Jesus, we want you to give us a safe passage to heaven, but we don't want to join you on your mission on the way there. We want Christ to be with us always, but we want to see the command, the mission as optional. Church, Jesus cares for His crew. And so let that lead you to step out in faith and live on mission. Go make disciples, baptizing and teaching them. Jesus will be with you every step of the way. But don't assume that you can captain the ship or chart the course or control the rudder and still enjoy the presence and care of Jesus in your life. He is the captain. He determines the mission as He provides the care. Church, this is the great commission of Jesus our Lord. This is it. This is it. We are to surrender to Jesus by surrendering to the mission of Jesus, which is to make disciples. Let me close with a word of warning. Let me close with a word of warning. I want to warn us because, as I've said multiple times, I want to remind us of this, it's easy to get off course as a church. It's so easy to become surrendered to other things besides the mission of God. Here are five quick ways. I'm going to, I mean quick. I'm going to roll through these real fast. Quick ways we can find ourselves not surrendered to the mission of Jesus. These are five crews that we don't want to be as a church. We don't want these to describe us. One is the sunbathing crew. The sunbathing crew. We don't want to be that crew. This is the crew lazily sunbathing on the deck rather than working hard to accomplish the mission. This is the church that pretty much does nothing. They might gather together, but that's about it. They just get together once a week to feel better about themselves and check it off the list. We don't want to be that crew. Second one is the busybody crew. It's the busybody crew. This is the crew busy on deck. I mean, they're, they're hustling. They're around. I mean, they're getting work done. They're sweating. All right? They're, they're doing stuff. But they're not really sailing anywhere. They've begun to be surrendered to the ship itself rather than to the mission of the captain. This church that is the busybody crew, may have nice buildings, cool programs, and flawless church structures, but none of them are designed to actually make disciples. Everyone looks really, really busy. They're not really making any difference at all in the kingdom of God. We don't want to be that crew. Number three, this is what I call the stuck crew. The stuck crew. This is the crew pretending to sail. They got the mast up. The wind is blowing but an anchor still lowered in the back. And they're stuck. They refuse to pull up the anchor. This is the church which is more concerned with preserving the past than they are in pressing ahead into the future. They know they should make disciples, but they're unwilling to make necessary changes in order to be effective. Instead of being flexible and ready to change, they're tied down to certain traditions or buildings or worship styles or programs, even though those, even though those things are actually hindering the mission hindering them from reaching the loss, hindering the church from growing. They refuse to pull up the anchor and so they're stuck. We don't want to be that crew. Number four, it's the short-sighted crew. It's the short-sighted crew. I told you five, didn't I? It's really four. It's really four. I can't count this morning. I can't do English or math. Short-sighted crew. This is the crew that is sailing, but they've lost sight of their main objective. They're moving. They've got the anchor up and they're, they're going. I mean, they're sailing. They're going. But they, they lost sight of, of where they're supposed to be going and what they're supposed to be doing as they go. 
This is the church that's going to the nations. I mean, they might be getting on planes and going overseas. They're going next door. They're going to people. But when they get there, they focus only on meeting temporary needs. They might feed the hungry and clothe the naked, but they never actually make disciples. They just show up. They play with some children. They give out presents. They alleviate some physical suffering, but they fail to share the gospel. They, de- they fail to disciple new believers. They fail to plant churches. They do a lot of good for others. Don't get me wrong. They're doing really great things. Things we should do as the church. They're not actually accomplishing the mission of Jesus. They're not focused on what really matters for eternity. They're focused on the here and now instead of people's souls. Church family, we want to be, be on guard against all of these. We want to be on guard against all of these. And really, these are all, all of these problematic crews are all worship problems. They're all problems of worship. The sunbathers are worshiping themselves and their own appearance. The busybodies worship their full calendars and great programs. The stuck crew worships the past, and the short-sighted crew worships quick results that make them feel better about themselves. However, the church that is actually worshiping Jesus, as we see these disciples doing here, and they worship Him. The church that is actually worshiping Jesus, will sacrifice their comforts and traditions and programs and buildings and time and earthly recognition and money and gifts and talents in order to make disciples. They will be flexible, willing to change methods while never wavering on the unchanging gospel message. Willing to make sacrifices for the mission because the one who sacrificed himself for them is worth it. Church, we have a captain who has a mission. He came to earth on mission to rescue us from our sin through His death in our place and resurrection from the grave. And He calls us to continue this mission by spreading this message and making disciples. Now friend, if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, maybe you've trusted in a baptism, maybe you've trusted in a church membership, maybe you've trusted in some good works that you've done, but you've never trusted in Christ alone for salvation, you've never been saved from your sin, listen, that's how you get on board the ship. And so what you need to do today is to believe in Christ alone for salvation, and then you can be surrendered to His mission. And listen, God is faithful to save all who call upon the name of Christ. Church, the course has been charted. The rudder is being controlled. The crew is being cared for. Let's not get in the way. Let's follow our captain. Let's hoist the sail. And let's make disciples for the glory of King Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank You for Your love and Your mercy and Your grace. God, we thank You for saving us. Thank You for allowing us to get to be a part of Your mission. God, it is Your mission. It's not ours. So God, we ask that You would help us to walk in obedience. Lord, You are the captain. We serve You. Father, help us not to fall into the trap some of these, some of these crews we just mentioned. But Father, help us stay laser-focused on the one mission You gave us. And may everything else we do as a church serve that one mission to make disciples for the glory of King Jesus. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.